Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great website that gives you history the way it was intended to be told? With no PC, no Marxism, no progressivism. Well, I've got it for you. It's LearnTrueHistory.com. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. Learn history from great professors who don't sugarcoat it for you. This is not for your delicate flowers. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. LearnTrueHistory.com. Com. This is The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. This is episode 59. Glad to be back on the program. It's been a week, but I am very happy to be back in the chair and doing the podcast for those of you who don't know, maybe you didn't see my Facebook post on it, but I had lost my voice last week, and so I couldn't do the podcast. And that was unfortunate because I had a lot of good things to talk about. So I'm back now and uh, glad to be back with you. And um, before I get into what I'm going to discuss this week, please, if you like this podcast, share it around with your friends. Uh, you know, Share it on social media. Go to my Facebook page and like me there or follow me on Twitter or go to my YouTube page, which I do post the podcast there. And uh, share that information around because it's the only way uh, the podcast will continue to grow. And I do appreciate your support. If you do have an idea that you might want to see on the here on the podcast, uh, go ahead and send that to me. Go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com, and send me a, a message. Hey, I'd like to hear this. And, and um, I do try to get to some of those. And so uh, that, that allows you to have some input in what goes on with the podcast. So... Uh, please do that, and um, I do appreciate your support. Now, this particular issue that I'm going to talk about today is judicial reform, and it's uh, it's a very important issue because of some of the things that happened in the last uh, several weeks, and I wanted to hit this last week, uh, but of course, because I couldn't talk, I couldn't do it, so I had to wait till this week. But this uh, issue comes up with Trump's executive order, uh, which was seen as a uh, abuse of power by some, and uh, I did discuss the immigration issue uh, in a piece for uh, LewRockwell.com. Uh, but um, the point is, does the federal judiciary, now what they've done is blocked the executive order. So there was a lot of, uh, do, do they have the power to do that? Uh, should they have the power to do that, I think is the, is the important question. And uh, what can be done with excessive judicial power? So the topic of this particular podcast is reigning in the federal judiciary. And both sides, left and right, has talked about this issue before. It's an issue that, of course, comes up every time we have a, a presidential election cycle because uh, we have the ability for the president to make Supreme Court nominations, federal court nominations, and all the levels of the federal court system. And so whoever's in power can put their stamp on the federal government for years to come because these federal judges have lifetime appointments. And that makes that particular aspect of the executive branch extremely important for the future if we place so much emphasis on the federal court system, which has not always been the case. And I think that uh, when you look at historically how the federal court system was sold to the states, for example— and you look at what can be done to rein in the federal court system, there are some very easy solutions. But these easy solutions 
require the Congress to go out and do something about it, which I am not so certain they really want to do. So I'll get into all that. So Trump's executive order on immigration prompted a the Ninth Circuit, which is uh, generally California, but some other states as well, but it's, it's very liberal California controlling the Ninth Circuit, uh, to issue a stay on that executive order and block it from taking effect. Now, not every uh, immigration officer has abided by the decision, from what I understand. But we have now a battle between the executive branch and the judicial branch over this particular issue. So, uh, we had uh, Donald Trump come out right after the decision and mock the, uh, the judges in the circuit court. And this prompted someone like Justin Amash, who's very good to say, wait, 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 wait here. We, we can't infringe on uh, judicial independence. Uh, we have to allow these federal judges to be independent. We have to make sure that uh, the executive branch is not stepping on the toes of the, uh, of the judicial branch. That's not really the question here, and for all the things that Justin Amash does, it's very good. This is not a question of federal judicial independency. Having a president criticize a federal judge is not unheard of, and so what? Uh, this is uh, this is something that's happened several times. It's not that like the president was doing anything that was illegal here. He just said, "Look, I I, I think that uh, this this is a wrong decision." Uh, he didn't mock these federal judges. Again, so what? Uh, the federal judges often mock the presidency. So uh, I think that that's uh, taking this to a little bit to a point where you know we're hurting each other's feelings now. So what can be done about this? And in fact, this idea of, of judicial independency really only came down to the fact that the judges needed to have uh, the ability, at least from the founding perspective, uh, not to be completely controlled by the executive branch or the judicial branch, but more the executive branch. Because this goes back to uh, a precedent during the American War for Independence. The, the judges uh, that were placed in the American colonies were there at the uh, pleasure of the king alone, so he could, he could remove them anytime he wanted. So that's what the founding generation worried. You know, the, the executive branch would put these judges on the bench, and then if they didn't do what he wanted, he'd just pull them off the bench. Well, Trump can't do that. He can't fire a judge. The only way you can get rid of a judge is through impeachment, even though that has lost all of its teeth. It shouldn't have, and I'll talk about that in a second. But uh, the fact is, that's what, we, that's what the founders meant when they talked about the independency of the federal judiciary. Uh, their salaries could, uh, you know, they had to have a salary so that they couldn't be manipulated with money. Well, I'll just cut your salary and so you don't have any money to be a judge anymore. So that's what they meant by that. Criticizing a judge, so what? Uh, judges aren't immune to criticism. And by saying we can't, you know, essentially we can't criticize the federal judiciary from the executive branch, that's placing the federal judiciary in a position it was never designed to have, which is above every other branch of government. That's not the case. So we've got this executive order. We've got a federal court blocking that executive order. But this could be happening with any particular issue. Oftentimes people criticize the federal judiciary for overstepping its uh, constituted authority on several issues. 
And I think they have done that. And people have recognized that the federal judiciary is one of the greatest problems, one of the greatest threats uh, to federalism and the original Constitution in America. Now, I know there are a lot of libertarians who like the federal judiciary, particularly with incorporation of the 14th Amendment, which I've already done on this podcast, and how that is a wrong position to take. It actually causes more problems than it solves. Uh, but uh, and for those of you that think, well, we got to have the federal judiciary to enforce civil rights, the states could do that. And uh, the states actually did that very well throughout the United States for years. In fact, you might argue better than the federal government at times. So uh, I think that libertarians need to be disabused of that particular notion that uh, uh, they, uh, they somehow need to have the federal court system enforcing civil liberties. Now, if it comes down to a federal law that violates civil liberties, absolutely. But the question here is not that. Usually it's, um, usually it's a state law that's being appealed to the federal court system. And that becomes very dangerous. Incorporation of the First Amendment, Second Amendment, Third Amendment, whatever, can't really, all, all these amendments, Fourth, Fifth Amendment, that creates problems because your, your, your state constitutions already have these things in place. So you should just work with the state constitution if the state government violates your civil liberties. Now, after uh, the court came out and, and uh, knocked down this executive order, Several people went out and started talking about, well, what can be done about this problem? We had a, an article where the Congress supposedly try, was going to try to divide up the Ninth Circuit, cut its teeth, so to speak, uh, you know, cu- cut, its, uh, cut its legs out, so to speak, you know, not cut its teeth, cut its, legs out, cut its legs out, so to speak, and knock it out from being able to do this, some of these things. Uh, that might work, but it showed that the Congress does have a tremendous amount of power on this issue. In fact, Newt Gingrich made a speech where you started discussing what Congress could do to rein in the federal court system. My question to Newt Gingrich is, why did they never do this when he was Speaker of the House? And I'm sure his response would be, well, we had Bill Clinton as president, and uh, there's nothing we could have done that would have gotten passed. Regardless, if you believe so firmly in reining in the federal judiciary, you could have done something about it as Speaker of the House and passed legislation to that effect. It would have been maybe symbolic, but it would have been something that people could have said, yeah, this is what we can do. In fact, when I was promoting my nine presidents who screwed up America, I was on a program, I think it was out in California, and I can't remember what the program was, but uh, I mentioned this. I said, well, you know, if, if we want to do something about the federal courts, the Congress could take control of that and just cut the federal courts, cut their power, and uh, it will be done. And this, uh, this radio talk show host, frankly, said, I've never heard that before. People don't know that the Congress has almost complete control of the federal court system. It's the dirty little secret. The Congress doesn't want you to know that, because that would mean they'd actually have to do something about it. The Republicans controlled the Congress and the executive branch during George W. Bush's administration. And yet... They did nothing about the power of the federal court system, even when it was abusing its own power. It was going beyond the bounds that it was uh, supposed to have as it was uh, the federal court system was sold to the states during the ratification of the Constitution. It didn't matter. The Republicans could have done something about it there, but they didn't. 
And I think there's a reason why. If the, if the Republicans actually did something about the federal court system, for example, if they went out and actually reined in the jurisdiction of the federal court system, abolished some federal judges, did anything that they could to try to cut the power of the federal court system, that would actually be doing something about a problem, and then they couldn't campaign on it anymore. And then they couldn't have organizations like Heritage Foundation and others try to raise millions of dollars on the issue anymore. You see, having the problem there allows them to stay in power. If you actually do something about it, well then, you no longer can campaign on that issue. So, for example, repealing Obamacare, well, if you actually did that, well then what are you going to campaign on? Uh, becomes more problematic. You can't stay in power campaigning on an issue uh, if you if you do something about it. If you go out and you say, look, we're going to rein in the power of the federal judiciary, and you actually do it, well, how are you going to campaign on that issue? How are you going to raise money on that issue? Now, you could say on the flip side, well, they actually did what they were supposed to do, and they'll get returned to power because of that. Well, that's probably the case. But I'm not so certain the Republicans really want to do anything like that. Most of them simply just want to be in Washington, D.C., and by not doing something, uh, that allows them to stay there. Now, because they can keep saying, well, we're going to do this. It's just these rascally Democrats or rascally uh, presidents, whatever the case may be, that's going to block what we're trying to do. <clears throat> Essentially, the opposition for the Republicans now has become Donald Trump. And so they have to paint him out as the bad guy. Well, we would do things, but Trump is just being obnoxious. We can't do anything about it. We, we can't do this stuff. So here's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. We've got a Congress that doesn't really want to do anything about an issue, even though the American people, if there is such a thing, want the Congress to do something about the issue or want somebody to do something about the issue. If you ask people in America, hey, what's one of the greatest problems that we have? I think a lot of them would say, well, federal judicial power. So what can be done about this? I think that's the, that's the key. Well, let's do a little history lesson here because that's what we do on this particular podcast. So let's go back to the ratification of the Constitution and when this uh, federal judiciary was brought up, how people said the federal judiciary would work, how it would operate. First and foremost, and this is actually part a component of my forthcoming book, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America and Three Judges Who Helped, and I get into this issue in The Three Judges Who Helped, particularly with John Marshall. So when the Constitution was going through ratification, John Marshall stood up in the Virginia Ratifying Convention and said, look, you don't have to fear the federal judiciary because uh, it will not negate any state court decisions, particularly in areas where it really doesn't have any jurisdiction. Now, uh, you could make a case if a state violates the Constitution, meaning Article One, Section 10, well, then you can make a case that the federal court system should hear that particular case. But everything else, all the things that were supposed to be left to the states, would not fall under federal purview or federal jurisdiction when it came to the federal court system. Marshall promised this in the Virginia Ratifying Convention. And, of course, for the fear that we had, or that the founding generation had, that uh, federal judges would abuse power, 
there was always that little thing of impeachment. Impeachment was supposed to be a very powerful tool. And it was used once, or at least the attempt was used once, to get rid of a Supreme Court judge. It didn't work. But one of the things that the founding generation brought up where federal judges could be impeached is abusing power from the bench, essentially going outside the bounds of their constraints of their power, according to the Constitution, or making blatantly partisan decisions from the bench. That was seen as an abuse of power. So a judge gets up there, and essentially you can see right through what they're doing. It's all political. They're making a political decision. has nothing to do with the Constitution. has nothing to do with law. It has everything to do with the fact that they don't like uh, the law on the books. Whether it's constitutional or not, they don't like it, and they're going to get rid of it. Now, that was not supposed to happen. That What we were supposed to have were be, would be independent judges who would look at the law, whether they liked it or not, and say, okay, yeah, I mean, this is how it works. This is how it's supposed to work. We're going to uphold this decision or not. An appellate court, uh, the idea as well was to say, you know, well, we're going we're gonna to listen to the law in terms of fact. Did the all the proper procedures, were all the proper procedures followed to get to, to get to the decision that was rendered? Was the person allowed a fair trial? These type of things. Well, that's, that's the case in fact. It wasn't so certain that they would listen to um, whether a law was constitutional or not. That came later. And in fact, it was thought that the state courts would have a tremendous amount of leeway in this particular area, and they would, they would be able to decide these things for themselves. Again, that's part of my forthcoming How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America and Three Judges Who Helped. So, the Constitution's ratified, the Congress meets, the first Congress, and they pass the Judiciary Act of 1789. Section 27 of that particular act was the most uh, controversial part of the bill because it allowed for direct appeal of uh, state appellate court decisions to the federal court system. So the state makes the decision and the person doesn't like it, and so they appeal to a federal court. And what this means, of course, is that the, the state courts now can be overruled by a federal court. Now, this was, again, very controversial. And uh, eventually it's going to uh, rear its ugly head in a couple of important uh, Supreme Court decisions, Hunter, Ver- Hunter versus Martin's Lisee and Cohen's v. Virginia. And essentially, Joseph Story and John Marshall say, you know what, uh, you rascally Virginians, because what was happening is you had people like Spencer Rowan out there running around saying, you know what, that Section 27 is unconstitutional, uh, and we're just not going to follow it. You can't, you cannot appeal our decisions uh, to to the federal court. And one thing Virginia tried to do, which is uh, what happened with, with Cohen's v. Virginia, is they they had a situation where they would essentially, through by legislation, block having certain cases be heard in uh, in Virginia Court of Appeals, which was their Supreme Court. And so, therefore, the decision could not be appealed to the federal court system. And that had to do, this had to do with a lottery that these Cohen's brothers were arrested for uh, selling lottery tickets in the state of Virginia, which was illegal. 
And so a lower court, you know, a municipal court essentially said, you all are guilty, boom, and there's no appeal because they had this legislation on the books. Well, the Cohen's brothers just appealed it to the federal courts anyways. And John Marshall said, you know what, Virginia, you can't, uh, you can't do this. Now, uh, that's preposterous. But this was the issue. So one thing that happened um, when the Republicans took back control of Congress and then Jefferson was president, you had parts of the Judiciary Act of 17, or actually it was 1801. You had the Judiciary Act of 1801, which allowed, added all these new judges into the federal court system. So the Judiciary Act of 1802 just basically repealed some of that and uh, said these judges are no longer in existence. One thing it also did as well is it took away uh, civil jurisdiction of the federal court system. And that was the case until 1875, and of course 1875 is important because you have Reconstruction. So from 1802 to 1875, you could the, the federal court system had no civil jurisdiction. Now, this brings up a couple of important points. Now, uh, first of all, what happened after that? You know, Samuel Chase, who was a Supreme Court justice, he didn't like the uh, the Alien and Sedition laws. He was acting as a uh, uh, he didn't like resistance to those, I should say, and and um, he was acting in a very partisan manner on the bench, and he was impeached, and he went to trial, and it failed. Essentially, it failed. the The whole prosecution was, well, Samuel Chase is being a brat, being obnoxious, being a real jerk on the bench because he's not allowing certain evidence to be heard. He's acting in a very partisan manner. The guy should be removed from the bench. And that particular um, argument was extremely sound, at least according to the Constitution as ratified and what the founding generation thought would be an impeachable offense. But that didn't really matter because the Senate used a very narrow, very narrow definition of high crimes and misdemeanors to get uh, Chase to keep him on the bench, right? Essentially, so you have to have, uh, basically have to murder somebody to be re- impeached and removed from office, not just acting in a partisan manner. And this is where impeachment lost all of its teeth. It was supposed to be a powerful tool not only to get rid of Supreme Court judges, but also the president if they abused power. And that was actually a, a point that was made during ratification. Well, if the president abuses power, he should be impeached. Well, he should. But of course, a high crime and misdemeanor now becomes, uh, well, you got to kill somebody. You have to commit treason. You have to do something along those lines to um, to get removed from office. So impeachment has no teeth, and you can, you can thank Samuel Chase for that. So now we can't get rid of federal judges that way. So they, they can act with impunity. There's nothing you can really do to them. This, so when Justin Amash says, well, we, we should need to respect the, uh, the federal independency of the judges, okay, that doesn't mean they can't be criticized, even from the executive branch. If they do something that's purely partisan, which this decision by the Ninth Circuit was purely partisan, they should be called out for it. People should say, you know what, and it doesn't matter if they're congressmen or the executive branch, saying, hey, those guys are being blatantly partisan and that's not their job. So, we can debate whether uh, the executive order was constitutional, and I've made the point over and over again in my books and writings that I do not believe in uh, executive government. 
But have uh, uh, the president saying that, uh, that this, these federal judges were going outside the bounds of what they're supposed to do, so what? So <clears throat> what can be done about this? You can't impeach the judges. You can, but they're not going to be convicted. Uh, the Congress, though, has all the power on this issue. The Congress could abolish the entire federal court system except for the Supreme Court. I mean, hallelujah. But nobody talks about this. The Congress could remove the jurisdiction of the federal courts over many over many issues. They could remove the ju- civil jurisdiction. They could say you can't hear these cases anymore. They could narrowly define their jurisdiction, saying you can only hear uh, appeals on fact in the case. That's it. You cannot rule on law. You can just say, all right, were the proper procedures followed in this particular case? That's it. You can't go outside the bounds of what you're supposed to do. So the Congress could do a lot here. But they don't. The Congress has all the power. And I actually bring up um, the Confederate Constitution of 1861, the Supreme Court, it has a Supreme Court, but the Congress never put it into effect. The Congress never established a federal court system, the Confederate Congress. They never, they never had it meet because they were suspicious of federal court power. And so this, this is where we have the issue of, of the state courts. One of the things that the founding generation feared is that the state courts would become essentially impotent, and they are today. The state courts really have no power because people just go on an appeal to the federal court system. And every now and then, a federal judge will get it right and they'll say, you know what, I really can't hear this issue. For example, in my town, there are red light cameras, but <clears throat> they're very poor red light cameras. They're all, all red light cameras are poor because I mean, they're, 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 they're real problems with those. <clears throat> but these particular red light cameras, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, don't have the ability to photograph who's driving your vehicle. So it's just a, a camera of your license plate, which is clearly uh, when, when you get a ticket in the mail, they don't know who's driving the vehicle. They're just sending the owner of that vehicle a ticket. Now, you can see all kinds of problems with this. And in the ticket itself, it'll say, uh, well, if you weren't driving, tell us who was. Well, you don't have to do that. The burden of proof is on them to say that you were driving the vehicle and therefore you have to pay the ticket. Well, they can't do that. So one guy in my town sued in federal court on this issue. And the federal judge said, I can't hear this. This is a municipal court. Go through the state courts. So this is where it shows that people just don't even think about it. They think, well, I'll just go to federal court and go, go take care of this issue. It's a state issue. Now, the, the system, the state courts have been reluctant to knock these things down, so there is a problem with that. But uh, we can see how this really is just a state issue. It's not a federal issue, but people just want to go onto the federal courts. And I think it's because they believe they're going to get more a better response from that because they think the state courts are just a bunch of local yokels who aren't going to do anything about an issue because they're tied into the issue in one way or another. Not always the case. You do have to have a sympathetic judge, but uh, 
I think that uh, this is properly, as this federal judge said, you, you have no standing here. I mean, it's or I have no I have no uh, ability to uh, to hear this case. Um, I think that's uh, that's important because every now and then a federal judge gets it right. So we have to work through the state courts. The Congress could say, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna remove direct appeal from state courts to federal courts." So, for example, uh, you can't sue. And I know that uh, you know. Again, you're looking at civil liberties here. But if a state like California, through a constitutional amendment, prohibited same-sex marriage, that decision cannot be appealed in federal court. Because last time I checked. There's nothing in the U.S. Constitution that uh, allows for the federal government to have legislation of this effect at all. So this is really a state decision. So you remove their appellate jurisdiction in that particular way, and it cuts out the entire federal court. You could also say, you know, no civil court, no civil uh, uh, decisions can be made by these uh, federal courts. We remove your civil jurisdiction. There are things that can be done. You can divide up these uh, federal circuits, break them apart. You could uh, essentially essentially say we're not going to uh, we're not going to appoint new judges. We're going to cut the amount of federal judges we have. So a judge retires, a new one doesn't get put on the bench. Of course, the Republicans don't want to do this because if their guys in power, they think well we can put our guys there and we can control the courts for years. Doesn't always work that way because your guy may not make the decisions you want them to make. But then we get into purely partisan political decisions, which was what the founding generation wanted to avoid. So we're back to that. So the real answer to all of this, the real answer to all of our prayers, is for the Congress to actually stand up and do something and remove federal jurisdiction over many of these issues. Remove some federal judges. You can't do it. You can't say, well, we're removing these judges and you're off the bench now. No, you just basically don't replace them. And Congress has known it can do this since the first Congress. But again, it's the dirty little secret for the American public because the American public believes they're powerless. They can't do anything about this. So what you should do is go out and put pressure on your representatives to do something about the federal court system. Hey, congressman, you can do something about it. Pass some legislation. Propose some legislation. Do something about it. Don't just stand there and say, oh, well, you know, the federal court system's bad. Uh, I wish there was something we could do, golly. By golly, I wish there was something I could do about it in Congress. But, you know, those federal judges are independent. we got to support their... One thing about that, when Jeb Bush comes to your defense, you know you're on the wrong side of the issue. And Jeb Bush has come to Justin Amash's defense. Uh, when that happens, run away. But we could do something about it. The Congress could do something about it. Something could be done to help solve the problem. It's just that Americans don't realize that, and so they just put all their faith in this federal court system or all the, the in a hope that we're going to get better judges in there. And I remember, you know, when Obamacare was up, uh, you know, people were talking about. Of course, the Congress is doing nothing about that. Go figure. We knew that was going to happen. But um, the response was, "We're we're going to take this thing out in the courts. We're going to go out there and we're going to." We're going to uh, you know, make sure that the federal courts do something about this. Yeah, okay. We'll see how that works. Uh, so 
the states, uh, I think Virginia's example uh, with uh, the just cutting out the, the appeal process so you can't appeal it to a federal court, that, that's actually not a bad idea. I know the Supreme Court has said that the states can't do that, but try it again. So what? The progressives, the Supreme Court has said progressives can't do several things, and they just kept doing it anyways, and eventually they got their way. That's the, that's the lesson to be learned, I think, from the progressives. The, the co- federal court system or the Congress, whatever it was, would say you can't do that. And they would just do it again. And they, they would just pass more legislation to that effect. Well, you can't do that. Well, they just do it. So they were persistent little buggers, and they eventually got their way. So the key to all of this, again, is Congress has the power. Congress can take care of this judicial problem by passing legislation, cutting their jurisdiction, by removing uh, several uh, judgeships, by redistricting the circuits, whatever they want to do. But they have all the power in this regard. And there's nothing wrong with anyone criticizing someone in a different branch of government. Is there a problem when the Supreme Court, when a Supreme Court judge says the president is uh, doing something he shouldn't be doing or the Congress criticizes the president? No, there's no issues here. Having the president criticize the federal judiciary is fine because they really can't do anything about it. It's not a big deal. And I think that's something we should remember. Don't get in this knee-jerk reaction. Well, oh, my gosh. A president criticized a federal judge. So what? The question is, was the federal judge wrong? If the federal judge is wrong, the president can't do anything about it, but the Congress can, and the Congress should act. And... The other thing we should be doing is looking to states to handle some of our issues, particularly in civil liberties, and not the general government. Stay out of the federal courts. You would do much to solve the problem by doing that. Stay out of the federal courts. If you can, if you have an issue, appeal, go through your state courts. Look at your state constitution. Know it as well as you do the federal constitution because your rights are protected. Your civil liberties are protected by your state constitution. And in many cases, better. So know those things as well. All right, that's it. Somebody asked about this uh, particular issue, so I decided to do this podcast today. But I'll see you next time on The Brian McClendon Show.